Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the unbeaten in April of the podcast, would you believe it? And I'm joined by the, at least we didn't embarrass ourselves of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. Nil-nil will do nicely. And finally, the feeling that you just can't shake that everything was better in the past of the podcast. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. I, I think I was definitely better in the past than I am now. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how far back into the past you have to go to find the better version of myself, but I think it's getting increasingly distant. I'm, but other than that, I'm good because the World Snooker Championship's on at the moment. So basically, all, all day, every day, uh, if I'm not working, I'm, I'm watching watching snooker. So, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. I chose to um, clean the the grouting between the tiles um, in the bathroom this morning instead of re-watching the whole match. Um, and, and I hope <laughs> that you will forgive me for that. But I think, you know, a kind of a rewatch of the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes will suffice for what we need to talk about today, I think. <laughs> and uh, another man who enjoys cleaning the grout in his bathroom, no doubt, is Tom Woodhead. Tom, how are you? I don't think my wife would agree. <laughs> Sorry for that, but... Um... Uh, it is genuinely one of her bugbears that I never clean, clean the grout in the bathroom, so I don't think I can take credit for that one. <laughs> I've got a nice brush. I'll send you a link to it. You can. There's a good All right, brush. Cheers, mate. Yeah, no worries. The grout brush. <laughs> well, we are here to to review a game that some people thought was tedious and other people didn't. Um, on rewatching the the game this morning, because I am committed to this thing. Um, <laughs> I yeah, the, there's not a huge amount to talk about. We are going to spend the first half of this podcast talking a little bit about the game, uh, and then we're going to talk about some, I guess, more general questions, because I think that we're getting to the point of the season where all of the questions that we're getting are basically the same as the ones we've had every week for the last few months. So um, I know you two love Groundhog Day, but uh, I still haven't seen it. So um, I think rather than going through the, the same old questions again, we'll we'll talk a little bit about some of the bigger questions that have been generated in the last few matches. And... Um, We'll go from there, but before we do that, let's let's talk a little bit about the game. So I'll start in time honoured fashion with the with the question: How did that feel, Darren? It felt okay. I I thought we actually started the game pretty sharply in the first first ten minutes, and and 
I thought it was going to look pretty similar to, to the shape of the game was going to look pretty similar to the Liverpool game is kind of how I imagined it panning out. But then as as the kind of the game wore on, it be, it became became increasingly apparent that that we weren't going to be able to kind of impose ourselves in an attacking sense at all. And um, and I suppose I just felt I did feel a bit deflated by that. I mean, I think I think a draw against one of the very top teams around is is never a bad result. But I think I think I would say that I did feel a bit deflated by by the by the lack of lack of chances that that we we created. And and I have to say as well, and I know this is a kind of side point and and whatever, but I got, I got really pissed off with Jamie Carragher laughing every time something went wrong in the game because the last time Jamie Carragher made me laugh was when he spat at the family from his car um, so maybe he can you know keep his knobhead opinions to himself and just act like a professional um, that might that might be okay um, but yeah I, but overall I just found it a bit sort of a bit a bit underwhelming but I have to say I did enjoy an underwhelming nil-nil with Man United more than I enjoyed being tonked 6-2 by Man United some weeks ago which I know is kind of the nub really of where where we're going to lead to throughout the throughout the podcast I guess we've had three of these games in a row now um I mean Liverpool less so Liverpool was a bit more open and even but um it was tense it was nervy because I mean despite the fact that it was for a neutral a pretty dull game um there's there's still a lot riding on any game against Manchester United as a Leeds fan I think emotionally um and it was great to get the point but as Darren said it did feel a bit disappointing that we couldn't do a little bit more going forward that said i i mean i i will come on to talk about it in a bit more detail but if there was one game where i wouldn't begrudge us playing this way it would be against manchester united because i think they just they can't play against teams that sit deep so it does there's a really obvious logic in playing this way for any team i think against manchester united and although we might be disappointed that bielsa would do it it is the one fixture in 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 the whole league where i think it makes the most sense yeah like you say we are going to we are going to come on to talk about all of this but i do feel as though when we were going through that phase at the beginning of the season when we were quite open everyone was like yeah well we don't want to be like these teams who sit deep do we so i i think it goes both ways um in terms of the the game itself um not a huge amount of interesting tactical stuff going on I didn't think um same same th- sort of things that we've been talking about in a lot of games recently so um maybe a bit more of a muted press um from the front maybe a little bit more zonal in certain areas um uh, and beyond that I didn't really think there was there was a huge amount of, of of interesting tactical stuff going on I think the only thing I'd say is that um and this is probably something that's happened in the last few games rather than just something against Manchester United. But I really noticed it yesterday that because our initial press is dropping off to be more of a mid-block, it really makes it look a lot more like a front two at times with Roberts and Bamford than it than it did when we were pressing higher, I think. Um, because Bamford is dropping back a lot sooner into the midfield and Roberts is pushing up at the same time. And that's sort of creating a slightly different dynamic in midfield, I think, and a slightly more segmented dynamic between Roberts and the deeper midfielder. The only thing I'd add to that is that that having, you know, like I said, watched watched the game yesterday and watched the first part of the first half and the last part of the second half uh, this morning, um, I sort of did feel a bit like it was the players that made the call to drop off because I think in the first 10 minutes of the first half, we were playing quite high. We were pushing right up onto them. And I think that after that, we seemed to really drop off. And I don't know what the trigger was for that, but but I, I sort of think sometimes you can t- you, 
the way to look for what a manager's tactical instructions are to see what happens just after the manager's spoken to them. And um, I, I felt like we, we did come out in in the in the right at the start of the first half pushing with a, with a much higher line than we have done recently, um, so I was I was interested to see that the kind of gradual drop off. And although I thought we weren't able to to build up in possession and that our build up was poor, I did still think we were when we were in possession we were we were still trying to make the pitch as wide as we possibly can. So that I guess to me that indicates that it wasn't entirely a kind of tactical decision to to stay narrow and to try and keep the game. As, as tight as we possibly could it's just perhaps that we didn't have the quality to to advance up the pitch in, in ways that that we would have wanted to maybe I don't know yeah I do, I do think the pressing seems a bit half-hearted at the moment I don't know whether or not that's just because because we talk all the time about how oh in the last game against Manchester United they they ran through the middle of us all the time well, they kind of did that a bit yesterday it's just that we obviously were sitting deeper so we had more players behind the ball and like that's that's totally fine. I, th- I think you know as, as we're going to come on to talk about, there's it's a legitimate tactic to sit deep, um, and especially against as you've said, Tom, against teams like Manchester United who struggle breaking low block low, low blocking teams down because they they just don't have the the sort of attacking structures and and the interplays and interchanges to really do that and I guess that's why we thought it was so strange that they weren't playing players like Edison Edison Cavani and Paul Pogba because those two players are I mean Pogba is probably one of the most creative players in in the Premier League and probably Premier League history he's the sort of player who can create from these in these sort of situations when no one else can Edinson Cavani is someone who can find space in a way that not, not many players in Premier League history have been able to as well and it's it was weird that they didn't they, I mean Pogba got what 19 minutes and Cavani got like five um, it felt as though and I think it was, it was you Tom who said this that it felt as though Solskjaer was expecting exactly the same game as we had the first time around this time around and it didn't happen and United looked pretty. Uh, I don't know. They looked pretty huffy and huffy and puffy to me. Uh, in that sense, um, didn't really didn't really create much. Although there were a few chances where they did move us around and often create space in the middle, and they didn't really take it. They looked they looked pretty uh, inefficient. I thought compared to what they did in the game against us in the first half of the season. Obviously, when you have Scott McTominay scoring two in three minutes, that's like wild efficiency. Uh, and it felt like yesterday there was a few chances where they could have had some decent, decent chances out of it, and they they just tripped over the ball, or there was the 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 James and Fernandez moment where they sort of both left it for the other person when they got through. But um, yeah, I yeah I I don't know whether or not you you guys would necessarily agree with that, but it it feels as though. It felt as though it was a, a sort of messy game tactically because it was. It felt as it was though as though it was all about Leeds sort of aggressively man marking, and and Manchester United not being able to do anything to break them down on that basis. I think that's a perfect summary of the game. To be honest, that that's exactly that's exactly what what happened uh, in the overall picture and story of the game for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when you when you play that way, when you defend that way. You you are going to give up a lot of fouls and you are going to give up a lot of. So it does become very quickly a stodgy game. I think we did. You're right. I think we did try and press from the front at first, but I think they played through our press quite well. And I think once you once you you've done that a few times, I think 
the pressing does just sort of naturally drop off because the the feeling is well why should we just allow this to happen um, when you can just play the ball around in between your two centre backs eventually and and just have that the opposite side centre back just drive forward and and pull things apart a bit I think the the tendency then is for us at the moment anyway to sit a little bit deeper and just be like well let's let them come and then engage them deeper in the pitch and again that I think that's largely fine is there anything else anyone wants to talk about in this game in particular. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, for all that, that it wasn't the most entertaining game and, and for all that I actually, you know, I saw in the questions that we'd had a lot of comments about individuals playing well. Um, I, I don't really think individually there were any outstanding performances from our team and, and we're probably going to get pelters for that and I'm sorry. But I, but I felt that it was more about the team sort of doggedly, as a, as a collective, doggedly sticking to a task and, and making sure that... Um, you know, making sure that the, there wasn't space. So we, we we really focused, I think, on making sure that nobody was isolated as well as the man marking. So if somebody was running at them, there was always somebody there backing them up. And I just felt that that was really kind of smart against a team who earlier on in the season were able to, to kind of get past and isolate players and beat us down that space. I also just want to come back briefly to the Man United game from earlier in the season, because I know we've talked a lot about like, tactics been really key in that game but actually I think the, one of the main problems in that game wasn't that the ta- we got the, the, the tactics wrong it's that the players decided to run beyond the ball at key moments like for that first goal Phillips, Click and Rodrigo were all beyond the first goal now that's not a tactical thing that's just players making bad decisions on the pitch so I, I think that, that I think some of the things we're going to talk about are kind of linked to perhaps the a slight overreaction to some individual player errors on the day. While you're talking about the the first game, actually, I thought it was quite interesting that, that there seems to be this sort of general assumption now that we are, you know, more solid defensively. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I do think a lot of the changes that we've seen recently have been simply that we are sitting players deeper. So yesterday we were dribbled past more times than we were in the first game. So we were dribbled past 25 times yesterday. Um, and we were only dribbled past 21 times in the first game. And there seems to be this sort of like myth that, you know, in that game, it was just a case of Manchester United wandering through us in the middle. And I mean, to a certain extent, that that's obviously true. Um, but we we the difference, I think, was that we attempted way more tackles against dribblers yesterday than we did um, in the first game. So we attempted 40 tacklers against dribblers in the game yesterday and only 27 in the first one. So there's clearly there's clearly... An, an obvious effort being made to be able to get players into positions where they can make those tackles. Um, so I think, again, I, that's just a, a, another sort of just tweak to just say, I don't think that we are particularly great at necessarily stopping those players coming through the middle. Uh, but I do think that we are able to do more about it when they get into those advanced areas. And I think that's what a, a lot of this um, recent shift has been. And I think the the correlation to that is that when you're sitting players deeper, it's just way harder to, to, to attack. And so the problems we have in possession are exacerbated by the fact that we have players sitting deeper. And so we're just basically saying we're not going to attack as much as we can. We'll attack with two or three players in transitional phases. And there'll be a, there'll be a couple of moments in a game where we'll get like a decent chance because we 
we've got four or five players forward. But in general, we're just simply saying we're not going to try and attack. We're going to we're going to sit deeper. We're going to try and defend. And I, I suppose that's you know that's the, the question that we are going to talk about later on. Yeah, I, and I think the other thing that I would say about that, and I'd be interested to see whether the numbers actually back this up or not. But I think we've been a little bit smarter about who we allow to dribble with the ball. So I think you know when when we're kind of you know we we talked about John Stone's progressive yards in the City game. So obviously we made a decision that he was going to be the one that we allowed to carry the ball. I suspect we did a similar thing with Maguire yesterday because he seemed to be have a lot of possession of the ball, was able to stride past Bamford on a number of occasions. But obviously with it being Harry Maguire, rather than one of their kind of really great creative players doing it higher up the pitch, they're much less likely to be able to cause us uh, difficulty. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard this line a lot. I don't know if I agree with it because I think it's just a natural... You know, it's just the natural result of if one of your centre backs is going to get free. I just think those two players are probably the better on on better centre backs on the ball, uh, and so that's why they ended up in those situations. I guess the question then is like, do you allow those players to pass it to the more creative players? And I guess I, I haven't watched this enough really, but um, yeah, I, I think that Maguire did pretty well yesterday, to be honest. Um, all things told, um, and I think. You don't need to. Do, I don't think you need to do a huge amount in those situations, other than progress the ball. So I'm not sure if I necessarily fully am fully on board with this idea that we're like, well, who's going to be their weakest player? Let's let them um, have the ball. It's always the centre back, and it's always the better of their two centre backs or better of their three centre backs um, who ends up in those situations, precisely because it's so easy to play around our forward press that you just you can kind of get there and then dra- drag players apart. And then the question is, can you then get that that player laying the ball into some? more creative yeah fair enough hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Right, let's, should we move on then and talk about the bigger questions that are raised by the recent shift, I think, at Leeds? So I've written a few questions down. We've got a few questions from from listeners as well that I'll throw in the mix too. But um, I'm going to start off. So the, there's this general narrative um, that, that we've been talking about. Phil Hay, I think, had a piece um, in, in The Athletic today, which ended. Um, let me just pull it up. This is the the final the final line of the the piece. So he said some would call Sunday's game tedious, others would call it evolution for both the Leeds players on the pitch and the manager looking on. And I guess my question, my first question then is about that. In terms of there is this sort of general view that that Leeds are less exciting to watch at the moment. And so I'm going to ask you guys. I'll start with you, Tom Woodhead. Which Leeds do you prefer? The Leeds of the first half of the season or the Leeds of the second half of the season? Um, I mean, if I was asked to make a binary choice, I definitely think we were more exciting in the first half of the season. I would probably choose that. Um, what I will say is that um, evolution 
it's about it is about survival isn't it so i suppose adapting to not die um you could call this evolution but i i think a lot of it um since certainly this game and the liverpool game it also comes down a little bit to rafinha not playing and we've we've grown reliant on him to an extent that we run out of ideas a little bit more when he's not on the pitch especially when click isn't on the pitch either um and even though click is still obviously not quite his old self you could see when he got the ball a couple of times yesterday flickers of what he can do in in possession compared to some of the other players that we've maybe had playing in midfield um it just in terms of awareness of space a little bit more and um i don't know i mean it's 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 yeah i mean the answer the answer to the question is i prefer as i preferred as in the first half of the season but that doesn't mean that i don't think there are elements of our recent performances and facets of it that can be incorporated into that style and can make us a better team on aggregate yeah, I th- I think I'd agree, you know, because I think earlier on in the season, on on match day, I'd wake up feeling feeling actively excited to watch us, and and I think that that's that's something which I haven't necessarily felt recently. But I think I I also think that that part of the reason I enjoyed us more earlier in the season, and 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 probably I'm going to include the previous seasons in this, is that I could see that we were more process driven than we currently are. Whereas at the moment, it looks like we we're kind of much less process driven and we're more becoming a, a moments team and, and and what I want to see us doing is kind of trying to find a way to get back to the smart build-up, the smart in- interchanges, the smart rotations so that it doesn't matter effectively which 11 players you've got on the pitch because you know that the system is going to do the work whereas at the moment when I agree with Tom completely that if Rafinha's not on the pitch our attacking um our attacking intent is so much less and we're so much less dangerous and we're so much less likely to create chances. Um, so I think I think you made a point in the in the group chat, John, that you feel that probably what's happening is that that, that the the work that, that they're doing behind the scenes is much more about making the um, making the man marking system work well and, and, and trying to work on how we've developed from going into a high press to a more of a mid block. But it definitely has come at the expense of some of the attacking process, which I think we all valued so highly before. One other thing is that I think some of our attacking success at the start of the season did rely on a kind of surprise factor that's no longer there anymore as well. Teams struggled to play against us for all sorts of reasons because of the man-marking system, because they weren't used to the exact patterns that we're creating in um, you know, the triangles that we're creating in fullback areas and things like that. Now, once once they've had the opportunity to analyse that a bit more, I think it does make it a bit hard for us and we, we'll probably have to come up with some slightly different ideas in the summer Um and come at it again because I think I just it's a combination of all sorts of things I think it's a combination of getting tonked 6-2 so becoming more cautious because of that it's a combination of um, players being injured and also and also yeah as I say uh, teams adapting to us in the same way that you know we've now started having to adapt to other teams I also can't imagine that there isn't a player in the country who's not a bit sick of playing football at the moment I think I think that it's been a long season I think I think even our players and knackered and fatigued and I think that particularly with with something as essential to our players as a high press that's going to be the first thing that you see start to drop off when fatigue gets in the legs isn't it so I think I think there are just a a, a like like Tom says if you look at it holistically then you can probably sort of predict that these sort of things might start to happen once once you kind of throw a few bad results in once teams start to work us out and once everybody's a bit knackered towards the end of effectively a long double season uh, with more football to come in the summer, joyfully. <laughs> yeah, and one of the points that I've made a lot 
I suppose, is that it felt as though we played this sort of gung-ho system at the beginning of the season up until a point where we were safe and we were definitely going to get safety at, at this point. And it feels as though since then we've sort of dropped off and started, I don't know, grinding out results a little bit more at a point when it when it wasn't necessarily as important. And I, I suppose my question to you guys is why do why do we think that was the case? Why do we feel... Because uh, I think a lot of our arguments about becoming harder to beat and you know whatever whatever else we were talking about at the, be- at, in, at the beginning of the season is tempered by the fact that you know it did work. We did achieve what we set out to achieve with those with those aims. And uh, I feel as though my big question is is you know what what actually is lost by maybe finishing with a few points lower. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I do think that Bielsa is incapable of not trying to get something from a game. Um, I mean, obviously he did basically settle for a point in this one, but I think if he genuinely thinks that he's more likely to win being a bit more uh, solid, he will do that, I think. But the reason people assume that that's not the case is because the vast majority of the time he does think he's more likely to win by playing the more attacking gung-ho football. That's that's my opinion. I don't know if you guys agree. Yeah, and I, I think when that is true, that's that's still true. I just think the process is less good. So I think in the next in the next few games, maybe we take the, the Spurs game out of the equation to an extent. But I think in the next few games, you might see us, or I hope you will see us, play further up the pitch, be a bit more proactive, try and get get in good possession, try and get in good positions. But if you look back to the the games against Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man United from the first half of the season, like. All three of those teams could could have scored as many as they wanted against us, um, and I I think there comes a point where there's you know although the opening day yeah it was a great performance and all that we were we were walloped really, um, and I think there comes a point where where there's a kind of pro- professional pride in 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 being able to go on and find a way to to match the team of the opposition, and I think that the way that we can match those oppositions is by making them worse, which Bielsa said on a number of occasions. But I think at the moment the um, the way that he's choosing to do that is to try and deny them space rather than the way that he would traditionally try and do, it, which is to try press them high and to try and stop them building up. So I think I think that. I suspect that the players are kind of subconsciously being a bit more cautious in those games and it's not just a tactical decision, although I, I completely think there is definitely a tactical element to it. I think the, I think there's probably no worse feeling as a, as a player than coming off the pitch at Old Trafford, having been walloped 6-2 and wanting to kind of turn that around to an extent in the following game, which you know you can't argue that, that just in terms of the result, and, and I think it was a deserved nil-nil draw um, that, that we deserve to do that. I just think there's no there's no huge utility, especially at the moment, um, with with Rafinha and Rodrigo out and Click not at his best in trying to do something that the players are possibly not capable of doing anymore, like against that sort of calibre of opposition. And I, it is disappointing and it is um, demoralising to an extent. And I think all this kind of stuff is compounded by the fact there's no fans in stadiums and and the, the season is essentially over for us now. Uh, we've got five games left um, and we'll finish somewhere between like, I don't know, 13th and 8th. Um, and really there's, apart from prize money which is significant for the club in some ways but uh it's not really significant to fans in a sort of visceral immediate way there's nothing to play for um if we finish 13th and finish 8th it's basically the same so um and i understand that more supports your point 
that why, why bother trying to um you know why bother being more pragmatic but i i i think it, it could possibly stand the players in good stead for next season just in terms of belief because we've talked about it before that bielsa if you have to 100% believe um in what he's telling you or if if you if you suddenly just are never getting results then it's it, it could all fall apart very very quickly and I, I i just sort of hope that bielsa and i suspect actually that bielsa is saying these sorts of things to the players he'll be saying look I didn't want, you know, our attacking wasn't good enough. He he won't he won't be patting him on the back for it. I don't think. I think he'll have them in meetings showing them everything they did wrong in this game and how they could have played better, despite you know admitting that it was it was a well ground out point. I don't think he's going to be particularly happy about it. Yeah, and this is why I've made the deeply unpopular point that we are we are being more lucky than anything at the moment. And I think part of the part of the problem that we're going to have in trying to argue against the approach that we've taken is that we've had like we've been unbeaten in april which was a month which we thought we were going to get tonked in we thought we would be lucky to get a couple of points out of those games um but if you look at the underlying numbers for the last 13 games pretty much we've been struggling to on on a rolling 10 game average to get our xg4 anywhere near our xg against and that's that's fine you know that's we're we're close enough that i don't think that's going to be a long-term issue necessarily but when you are conceding more and better chances than you are creating in the long run i'm not talking about single game instances here you're you're in trouble of that that you are gonna you know end up having a bad run right so if you look at the if you look at the last few games i think we're we're overperforming our expected points by about six um all that it would take is just variance for that to be reversed and for us to be underperforming our points total by six. And then we're, what, we're down 40 points and you're having a completely different conversation about this team. And look, I know that it's not quite so simple as that. And there's always there's always caveats and there's always things that we need to talk about in terms of what, what's been going on. There's an argument to be made that playing more defensively makes it harder for teams to beat you. And so you're more likely to be uh, on the right side of variance there. I'm, I'm, I'm open to all of these um, su- suggestions, but there's been plenty of, teams this season who um who will have have been lucky um in in these sorts of situations and plenty of teams who will be looking a little bit worse just on the basis of that variance as well who have be- played a little bit more defensively um and i guess my my question about like what do we ben- benefit from this is that I think that we're, you know, it's not quite so simple as to be able to just turn on a tap and be like, right, this week we're going to be defensive. Next week we're going to be playing flamboyantly. There is going to be a, a long-term effect of this. And I suppose my my sort of thinking is, well, we've, we're safe. Why not continue doing the sort of stuff that we're doing, the difficult possessions? I know, and I know, again, it comes down to the fact that we are struggling in possession because we don't have the personnel. But I, I don't necessarily see there being an issue in in sort of, attempting to to improve at those weaknesses that we have this season and then go into the into the summer buy some more players to to top that up and then go into your pre-season being like we have the system that we play here's how you're going to slot into it whereas it feels as though there's going to be a lot of reinvention done in the summer maybe i'm being naive maybe it is simply the case that you know we you just have to hold up our hands and say this season it became very obvious very early on that we weren't going to be able to keep up playing the way that we were um and so we just sort of had to accept that we had to be pragmatic and um in many respects that's great but i do think that we are overstating how good this leeds team are i do think the underlying numbers don't really make for a particularly pretty reading um and i suppose in the in the long in the long run 
my worry is, and always has been, that when your when your teams who have attacking, and we've talked about this before, but the famous Daniel Farker quote, I should probably have pulled it up, but he basically says, if you're a defensive team, it's easier to stay in the Premier League for your first season. The problem is, is that when you come to your second season, you can't you don't you can't really raise the ceiling because being defensive is being defensive, and you do it, and and that's that. Whereas if you're an attacking side, if you can stay in for the first few seasons and you can bring in more and better players, then then you're set to stay in the Premier League for much longer because you have the system that you play that can then scale up and I guess that's my worry is that and I made the big thing of this in the first half of the season when I was like yeah you know it's it, the, the, the underlying numbers look wild in terms of the defensive side of things but we're good enough attack in an attacking sense that we can we can do this um, and you know we'll just scale it up next season but we've gone we've since that point I think we've gone the other way now and we've sort of been like yeah you know what we're just going to play mainly defensive football and uh, hopefully we'll be able to turn it around next season so I, I suppose the the question here then is it's on the on the running order but are there any negative consequences of playing this way so we had a question from Mike Turetsky who said time to revert back to the old Leeds attacking style for the next five opponents but is free-flowing attractive football a tap which you can switch on and off depending on the opposition or will be stuck in this new dower pragmatic style so i don't know if either of you had any thoughts on that my thought is um have have we have we done that in every game or have we only been doing it against the biggest teams that was um, my question too uh like i mean just from possession stats which don't always tell you a great deal you can see to be fair that we had less possession than you might expect against both fulham and sheffield united um but if you go back a little bit further in games against like west Ham and villa which we lost both of them um then it seems more like our normal sort of numbers into and, and I know possessions are very like imperfect metric for any of this kind of stuff but I, I, I just wonder you know we have had games in previous bit seasons under Bielsa particularly against West Brom in the championship where we have played more pragmatically I think um, and I just wonder if it's a case of a, a, you know an ac- a, a, res- a resigned acceptance that these there is a certain strata of team in this league that we are unable to compete with on that level. Um, and I, I also sort of wonder, you know, that, that we talk about the 6-2, um, would that game have maybe ended up like in the second half looking something like this anyway, if we hadn't conceded those early goals? You know, if that, if that game stays at nil-nil till like 50 minutes or whatever, will the players naturally start retreating into their shells anyway? And will it end up looking sort of similar? Um, and I, I don't really have an answer to that, but I think some of these games have been uh, in some of the games in the first half of the season were decided by big events that happened uh, in the first half. This probably raises the question, the next question on the on the sheet, which is, have Leeds actually been better or worse in the second half of the season? And I think a lot of it comes down to this. But just looking at the underlying numbers, I've got them in front of me. And in the first half of the season, well, up until the Manchester United game, there's only three games where we, well, f- yeah, there's only th- there's only two games actually where we put up less than an XG an expected goal in each each of the games. One of them was the Liverpool game where we put up 0.6 XG and scored three. Um, and the other one was in the Crystal Palace game where we lost 4-1, where we, we basically got XG'd ourselves. We put up 0.8 and, and they put up 0.9 and they just got the, the rubber of the green on that one. Since then, there's been one, I know, and I know the Manchester United game isn't the halfway point of the season, so that's a caveat, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games we've had without putting up a single XG total and that there's clearly there's clearly been a shift 
um, in terms of the uh, in terms of the underlying numbers um, for sure. I, I, I and I think what's what's quite interesting about this is that if you actually look through the defensive metrics, there seems to be this idea that we've been quite good defensively, but we've been quite good defensively against teams that we would maybe expect to be quite good defensively against, but not necessarily against teams that that you that you wouldn't. Um, so Spurs put up 2.6 xG after the Manchester United game. Uh, Leicester put up 2 xG. Everton were just under 2. Um, Arsenal put up 2.4. West Ham put up 2. Um, and Chelsea and Fulham both put up 1.5 each. So uh, And Manchester City put up 2.5. So uh, Liverpool put up 2.3. So... Uh, I, d- I don't know necessarily that we've ne- we've benefited from it. We've we've definitely created less than we were, and we've definitely still conceded a lot. Um, and I don't think that the, the the you know that reality that we talked about, where where there's a very obvious line against which leads tend to be better than teams or worse against teams in the table. I don't think that's really changed. It's just been that we've we've just been much less likely to create chances in the second, well, in the post Manchester United first fixture than we have in the in the second half so um in terms of whether or not we've got better i don't think we have i just think we've got more lucky um if i went through the expected points table um and worked it out and we've yeah in the last few games in particular we've picked up something like six points more than you might expect us to we've conceded five goals fewer than you might have expected us to concede we picked up uh, about i think it's four wins we would have been expected to pick up two with a couple of losses thrown in as well so the the underlying numbers i think are making this question harder for us to talk about because the the the, the it it stands and falls on whether or not you think the 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 style of play that we have now actually makes us more likely to be lucky or not uh, which I think is certainly up for up for grabs. So I've put in a lot of uh, information there. So I'll give you guys the chance to to sort of push back on it if you want. I'm not going to push back because I don't. You know, I think that all the things you said have got certainly got elements of truth in them. Um, I suppose for me, the more interesting question is how do how do we fix it? How do we how do we move forward? How what what do we expect to happen to try and get get the things that we want to see this this Leeds team doing and the things that we've come to expect this Leeds. Leeds team to do I suppose that's a more interesting thing for me than than pushing back on your points which I kind of you know kind of up, up there for debate I suppose but so I, I guess I guess for me I think that one of the things that I was really disappointed about yesterday was the way that we kind of summarily wasted a lot of possession just by pumping balls into the channels which we would never have done you know in the, in the previous season I think I think my my favorite iteration of the Bielsa team for example is the team at the start of last season when when we weren't as exciting as we were the previous season but we were much more controlled and we were able to control the ball much more effectively and I think for me that's the kind of ideal that I'd like us to get back to so the question is how do we get how do we get there and I wondered if you lads had any thought any thoughts about that I don't think we can do it with these players I agree yeah I, I know that's a it's it's a bit of a cop out but it needs signings I think to 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 be that have that level of control certainly against the better teams in the Premier League I mean we can do it to an extent against the bottom half I think but um, you you at least you at least need the players that we do have that are good at that kind of thing to be fit like Rodrigo and exactly yeah. yeah I suppose the big elephant in the room here is that we just constantly seem to be saying that the solution to this is bringing in better players which I think you know is largely true but there's a lot you know there's a lot about that that can go wrong I think there's the the team that always comes to mind when I think about these sorts of things is Sheffield United. Like Sheffield United had an absolutely incredible first season in the Premier League. They had a poor summer, relatively speaking, and 
had a bad start to the season and that's that was that for them and I I guess it, I, I don't think we'll be in that situation by any stretch but I do think that, that, that there seems to be the sort of prevailing narrative that we're fine now we'll buy some better players we'll plug them in and then we'll be challenging for Europe and I, I just don't think it's quite that simple I think that there's a lot of moving parts that that can come into this and um, it may be the case that we're never going to be able to challenge playing that style of football um, in the Premier League, given the amount of money that's in the Premier League, uh, and given the sort of you know the the fact that by any by any measure, I think the big six this season have, have been pretty poor. Um, who's to say that after a, a long preseason and n- new players brought in and and the 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 COVID impact lessening a bit, that that suddenly those teams start looking a little bit decent. Tottenham will have a new manager. Um, who knows what Arsenal will do? Maybe they'll get rid of Arteta. Um, there'll be a lot of movement around in the in the management managerial sphere, and there's always the chance that you know Manchester United could end up with a good manager, and you know suddenly they're going to start looking good. So uh, I think there's just a sort of there's the, the general approach seems to be that nothing else changes but leads get better and i think that that for all that that that's potentially true i think there's equally as much possibility that we could we could have the same sort of thing with that that sheffield united have had to a to a lesser degree i think it will be but you bring in some players maybe some of them don't work you get some injuries um and you have a bad start to the season and then suddenly everything everything starts looking very different so um i suppose the the next season is going to be a big one in terms of style for me because because what happens if we do bring in new players and then it it doesn't work when we try and play exciting football do we just go switch back quickly to this sort of more pragmatic stuff straight away um and if that is the case like do we just do we just sort of buckle ourselves in for the ride of being a mid-table side who play largely pragmatic football against bigger sides and then try and get get points where they can from other sides on the break i don't know what the answers to this the answers to these questions are but I do think there's a genuine there's a genuine chance that this could happen and I think um we have to be prepared for that as as a fan base that that that's the reality of Premier League football now is that it's the haves versus the have-nots and the have-nots yeah they get hammered for being dour and pragmatic but there comes a point where you have to just say what more can you do absolutely I think you're right John um you're right and all your points uh, you know all those possibilities could happen but but in terms of the initial question i don't think it changes the potential like the most likely solution which is to buy those players and make sure you buy the right players um uh yeah so i mean it, it, it just makes it even more important that they get those picks right i think especially especially you know the positions we always talk about like left back and uh, a midfielder who can control midfield yeah, if we don't find a way to improve in possession, we'll be back in the same situation next year. And I think I, I, I've said it for a few weeks now that I think there's every possibility that we do improve as a team next season, but finish with a lower points, points total and lower down the table than we have this season. I think there's every possibility of that happening. Well, especially after this run of results as well, which we've, Absolutely. you know, we would all agree have been have been lucky. And there's nothing wrong with luck, is there? Like luck, luck is a part of life and it's a part of football. But you know, if you get it. The, the chances of you getting it next season don't increase. Absolutely. I mean, you put yourself in positions where you can be lucky. That's still impressive. Still impressive to be able to be in that situation where you do that. But yeah, like that. That's why we talk about the sample sizes and long. We try and do. We, we try and look at the underlying numbers to try and balance off 
what's what's going on and that will be deeply unpopular no doubt but um that's just again as you said that's the reality of football football is stochastic it means that you know you can largely tell what's going on but there's so much variance in the in the in the sort of individual data points that you you end up sort of inshallahing a lot of it as well so just out of interest if we if we did have the points total that the rolling points total takes us what be on 40 points so where would that put us in the table because i suspect that wherever it would be would be fine do you know what i mean like it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be we would all be perfectly comfortable if we were sat in the position that our expected points total gave us i think that's that's definitely true i i would maybe balance that with the fact that that that's where our league average would put us so let's assume that we variance the other way and then you're losing you're, you're losing six points from from 40 you're then at 34 points which then puts you i guess down it again i think <laughs> this season probably fairly fairly safe beyond the same points of brighton yeah yeah so you know i don't think that's necessarily how it works right it's not no, it's no, not so course. simple to be like well we've we've varianced six points up therefore we could potentially variance six points down but you know there, there's always the possibility that that results can go other other ways and um you know, the it, actually, when you go through the 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 expected points calculations, a lot of it is pinch of salt stuff anyway. Because just because a team is getting you know 0.33 xg more than you and more than uh, over one xg doesn't necessarily mean they would definitely have beaten you in in those games. So um, I'm th- that's kind of why I, I add the caveat that if you are maybe slightly harder to to beat if you sit a little bit deeper, then maybe you are putting yourself in a situation where you are going to be more lucky in 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 the general run of things which is which is precisely why teams who are stodgy do it like Burnley do that because you know they they can get lucky I guess it's harder to as a rule it's harder to score goals than it is to stop goals being scored and and I think that's what it comes down to um but you know at, at the same time there's plenty of teams who try and make it as hard as possible for other teams to not score goals so you end up going down because you know you've got to still balance that off with with going forward and scoring and scoring goals so if you if you do go just the six points down to where we would be based upon you know the xp it puts us on 13th which is the same place as wool well it, it puts 12th actually uh, yeah so it put and wool wolves are a perfect example of what you've been talking about aren't they john like i think they were a bit more exciting when they first came into the premier league and over the year, over the last couple of years, they've slowly got more and more dour and more and more stodgy, and to the point where I, I've, I get some hints that their fans are now not very happy about the style of play and would like to see something a little bit more expansive, which doesn't necessarily bode well when every single journalist in the world is saying that Mourinho is eventually going to take over as manager there. <laughs> um, but uh, they're also a team who've lost their creative outlet as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's made a big difference for them. I mean, I guess yeah. Do we want to be Wolves or? I mean, then I'm then I'm looking for an example of a team who plays exciting football in the bottom half, and I can't find one. So, yeah. um, you know, maybe Southampton sort Southampton of Southampton have a go, don't they? Yeah. So maybe Villa, maybe Villa. Yeah, but Villa have only been here for two years, so I, I didn't feel like they yeah, were. Right. You know, that that th- they've still possibly got their retreat into stodginess to come. Yeah, but even Villa came to Ellen Road and played in a low block and just got a lucky goal. You know, I, I, I'd I'd be wary of using them as a kind of yardstick I, yeah i think it's i think it's a really difficult question I, I i suppose the other thing is that that like 
I, I wonder whether it's just not the Tonkins that have kind of given us some of these problems, but whether some of the issues that we've had with personnel have been really influential. Like, I think Broken Click has been a massive, massive, massive thing because he's so fundamental to our press. He's so fundamental to our build-up. Absolutely knows the system inside out. Um, I think, you know, Pablo finally kind of showing that he's gone past past his ability to kind of influence the team in a massive way is a big thing yeah I mean that's our midfield last season exactly um yeah so I, th- I think there are those other- and, and Rodrigo the signing not really working out is obviously a, a big thing so I think I think we need to kind of balance all those things off against just the stylistic stuff as well because those are the players that you would expect to carry the style no, I totally agree with that as well. Although I do think that Aston Villa, you know, they're another sort of similar correlate, right? Insofar as when Jack Grealish is playing, they look great. And when he isn't, they suddenly start looking like they don't really have much as well. So I think that's just part and parcel of what it means to be a mid-table side, that you'll have maybe one standout player who who's so important for you that that without them, you have to just become a completely different team. Yeah, you won't find many in the bottom half of the Premier League where if you take the most creative player out, they you know, they show anything like the same threat as when that player's in. Yeah. With all the best will in the world, Rafinha, great, great player as he is, was a sort of lucky last last few days of the transfer window get. And we weren't planning on getting him, I don't think, before the final week of the, the transfer window. We were trying to get Michael Cuisance, uh, a central midfielder. And I think it'll be interesting to see what that iteration of the, of the team looks like. Um, I, I certainly don't think we would have been as exciting going forward as we as we have been with Rafinha. So it just, again, it just goes to show like it, we we spend a lot of time trying to process everything and talk about the logical ideas behind things. But at the end of the day, football football is about so many intangibles. Like even trying to sign players, right? You're you're getting people in for a club trying to get a player who has an agent and, and very competing ideals about what he wants to get from his career. And you have to try and make those things match up so that, that there can be an agreement. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just tough to, to, to build a team and it's tough to, to make all these moving parts work together. And um, yeah, like I, I don't think last seat, I don't think last summer's transfer window was necessarily the most successful we could have had, but there's been so many things that you just couldn't really bargain for, right? You couldn't necessarily bargain for Robin Koch needing to get, a knee operation you couldn't necessarily bargain for the fact that and who knows like maybe Rodrigo was brought in as a as a sort of potential Bamford replacement but you couldn't necessarily bargain for Bamford having a great season and so Rodrigo having to play in midfield and then click falling off a cliff um etc etc and I guess there's Adam Forshaw as well constantly potentially coming back but then never quite coming back for for months and months and months so it's definitely there's definitely a lot of moving parts and a lot of this is sort of um, up in the air so we're just trying to we're just trying to I guess balance some of those moving parts often say look on in the, on the balance of probability this is what's going to happen but you know anything can happen and we we certainly don't have have uh, any sort of greater insight than that. I think as well um, all those problems about uh, the transfer market that you alluded to there as well, they're all magnified in a promotion year. Um, you don't have the body of evidence of your current squad to know whether they're going to be able to cope with the step up or not. Uh, so you're essentially unsure about two thirds of the squad. Like uh, you probably, you know, they, they, behind the scenes, they'll be thinking about, yeah, probably about two thirds of the players. Can they cope at this level? And there'll be a core third well that have been fairly sure that they could, uh, that they'd be able to make the step up. But now I think we that we and they have some at least some idea about which players uh, can cope, and and most of them have done okay. And then which maybe it was just one step too much for them. Oh, 
Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground there. It was it was fun to have a conversation about the the big picture, actually, especially in light of a of a game that was that was quite turgid at times. Um, so I really appreciated having the the chat. Um, we'll be back during the week with a Brighton preview. We're playing Brighton on Saturday at three p.m. So get that in your diaries, as I guess most Leeds fans will be aware of when the <laughs> game is. As always, if you want to check out. Um, the more of the stuff that we're putting out then we do have a patreon channel which is www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we but uh, for now i think all there is for me to do is to say thank you tom thank you very much and thank you darren thank you and we'll see you in a few days time deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.